you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, uh, or on your app. It takes forever to open in here, so you'll want to open that as we get going. Uh, or it'll be on the screen for you. Uh, we're talking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to talk about Christmas when we get to the end of this. And uh, when Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount, which is his first big, long uh, sermon, or his first long speech that he gives in the Gospel of Matthew, at the end, uh, I don't know if he was hungry, or tired, or what, but he gets kind of angry. And uh, Jesus just kind of goes off, and he says, the Sermon on the Mount is about how to follow Jesus. And then he ends with these four warnings. He says there's two ways you can uh, walk. Um, two like pathways. Uh, there's two kinds of pr- prophets or preachers. Uh, there's two kinds of disciples or followers of Jesus. And then there's two foundations that you can build your life on. And this week we're talking about the third one. All right. And so these four weeks that we're talking about these four warnings that Jesus gives at the end, they're kind of fire and brimstone. It's kind of fun. You kind of get to see into a bit of Jesus's character because Especially this time of year. Jesus is so nice at Christmas time, right? He puts on a red suit and comes down your chimney and all those kinds of things. But he, uh, we just we love the baby Jesus. And yet we kind of see this other side of Jesus who is just radically driven, who is very uh, black and white. Uh, when when you, I don't even like, we don't, um, some of you maybe like black and white things, but I, I, I love that there's a gray area and that it, life is a little bit complicated, but uh, Jesus is very much, there's two, there's two options, there's no in between, you're going this way or you're going that way, you're following me or you're not following me, and so there's this kind of um, like uncomplicating that Jesus does uh, in in the process of ending his Sermon on the Mount. So this week, uh, last week we talked about false prophets, and in our culture we use the word preachers, all right? So it was all about uh, watch out for horrible preachers. And this week it's about false disciples, okay? Uh, so disciples are, just that's kind of a churchy word, but disciples are people who follow Jesus. In Jesus' day when he was on earth and walking around, uh, he would have been in their culture called a rabbi. Uh, just like we have rabbis today who teach in synagogues. Jesus was a Jewish guy, so he actually visited and taught in synagogues. Uh, one time they tried to kill him at the end of his sermon. It was a good one. Um, but uh, he got away, thankfully. But um, there is this kind of... Uh, he's, it's a cultural... Like, he's not objective. He's in a culture, and, and uh, he's, he's not just free of just being a human. And so Jesus is teaching, and as a rabbi, your followers who would do life the way you live life and the way that you taught. So they would follow your teachings and your example. That person would be called a disciple. And it was a high honor to be a disciple. And so as a disciple of Jesus, who we would say is the highest of all teachers, uh, but not, because he's not just a teacher, to be a disciple of Jesus might be the most honorable position that exists on earth today. Uh, which is a unique way to think about that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you actually get to play a role that's the highest and most privileged role that exists on earth, uh, which is kind of a cool deal. It's kind of a fun experience to think about, to say, of, of all the people in the whole world, I've been chosen to follow Jesus in this way. Now, when he ends his sermon, it gets a little bit aggressive, all right? And so I'm going to get a little bit aggressive because I'm going to talk about what Jesus is talking about, you know? And, uh, and, and we'll be okay with that, uh, all right? So if you're here for the first time, we want you to know God loves you, all right? Uh, but if you need it, he's going to punch you in the mouth, all right? That's, that's just God loves you enough to hit you if you need it. Does that make sense? All right? And, and if you're married, you know, sometimes your husband 
He needs it. So, um, <laughs> it doesn't work the other way, all right? It doesn't. If you're sitting here like, yes, yeah, so no, that's, we're going to have a different kind of conversation after, all right? Uh, we have an elder team and a security team and a trustee team, and, and they're responsible for those kind of guys. Um, so... Uh, let's pray, all right? I'd love to pray together, and then uh, we'll be able to uh, open our Bibles and say things that won't get us in trouble. Jesus, um, we ask today that you would teach us. Uh, we ask that you would shape us and mold us. We pray that the words of, of your teaching uh, wouldn't be something that we say, yeah, this person over here needs it. But we pray that you would cut to our hearts, uh, that you would examine us, uh, and uh, that you would just uh, lay bare the things in our life that are enemies of your cross, and that you would forgive us and bring grace to our life uh, through your word and through our time spent uh, meditating on it. In your name, amen. All right. One of the things that uh, is a bit freaky if you go to some churches and they say there are multiple levels of meaning in this text, all right? And today I'm going to say there are multiple levels of meaning in the text. I don't want you to get freaked out. We're not going to do something weird like say the number of letters indicates this or that the three vowels says this, okay? We're not going to do something freaky like that. But we're going to talk about the depths of understanding and what Jesus teaches today. So I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to talk about the whole thing three times, if that makes sense. So it's kind of like... Um, um, it's like you get three sermons and we're only going to do one offering, you know? So it's kind of a good deal. A little, a little Black Friday or whatever. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> we'll cut that out of the recording because that's just stupid. So. This is verse 21 uh, of chapter 7. Not everyone, and sorry, this is Jesus actually speaking so that you know that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you hear that? This is the last verse. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Or if you have some Bibles say, you evildoers. Kind of an aggressive thing to say to the people who are doing things for Jesus. The very first thing that we notice here, the obvious thing, is something that we know already. Uh, it's not who you know, or it's not what you know, but it's who you know. Right? It's not what you do or how many skills you have, but it's who you know. I got my first job. I enjoy working, uh, so that is unusual, I understand, but uh, I got my first job when I was 10. I delivered papers. I had this huge paper route on a hill, and uh, I had like 70-something papers that I would deliver after school every day, and I loved it. I thought having a job, I thought this was what everybody wanted. Um, <laughs> Not true. Okay, so, um, um, but uh, there's, I would talk to my friends and they would be playing catch and I'd be like, you don't have a job? Um, I, so I got that job though because I knew somebody. We lived in the neighborhood and we knew the guy and he was going on vacation and so I did it while he was away and then he actually uh, moved or grew out of it or something. I don't know. I was 10. Who knows? And so I ended up with this paper route. I moved. I got another paper route uh, and then we moved again. I started high school and I got my first job cooking fries. One of the skills I do not have. 
So if you were in North Bay, Ontario in 1991 and ordered fries at Harvey's, I apologize. <laughs> they were terrible. Uh, they were cooked very slowly. And uh, so that job didn't really last. Um, but I, uh, I did telemarketing. So if you lived in North Bay from 92 to 95 and bought carpet cleaning or a long distance plan or uh, that company kind of, that was a bad company. So I, uh, I would call people and lie to them. It, it was kind of an immoral part of my life. Um, and uh, that was telemarketing's a bad, bad job. So, um, yeah, just for an inside scoop. If you get someone on the phone, the best thing is to keep them on as long as possible. That makes them furious, all right? Like, if you just say, no, thank you, and hang up, they love that because they know you're not. But if you're like, hold on a second, drag it along, and then say, let me ask my wife, and your wife says no, oh, it's, that's devastating. So, there you go. Um, if you, then, so, I just always worked. But all of the jobs, and this is probably true for everyone, you know that first job you got was probably because you knew someone or your parents knew someone. Even out of college, you know, you can put out all these resumes and stuff and most people end up with something because you know someone. And we think that's, like, we, if you have skills but you don't know anyone, you think that's a bad thing, right? You're like, oh man, I'm better qualified than them or something like that. But uh, when it comes to Jesus, apparently that's a good thing. And, and apparently for us, if you think about it, if you think about your skill level as far as living life goes, probably not as high as you wish it was. Like, I generally wish I was better at being me. Does that make sense? Like, I often think that I'm kind of a crummy version of what I'm supposed to be. Like, I, I'm supposed to be this super guy. I'm supposed to be awesome. And I kind of try and keep falling on my face. The great news in this is that Jesus actually says, it's whether you know me or not. Because these guys go through this whole list. When Jesus is talking, he says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, uh, not, and not all of them will enter the kingdom of heaven, which is Jesus' words that he's referring to heaven, both like the kingdom of heaven expressed on earth and heaven as far as an afterlife goes. And Jesus says, but the one who does the will of my Father is who is in heaven. He says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do exorcisms in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, yeah, but I don't, I don't know you. It's, it's kind of horrible news if you thought you were impressing God with the way you live your life. Like, if when, if when I was talking about how I feel like I'm a crummy version of what I'm supposed to be, if you're like, I'm oh, a pretty dang awesome version of what I'm supposed to be, you may have a problem when it comes to Jesus. <laughs> if you have this overwhelming notion that you are pretty much the best human being. <laughs> uh, hopefully you don't have that. Hopefully this is sarcastic. If you're like, man, maybe I have a problem, then there's, you probably have way bigger problems, but... Uh, when it comes to face-to-face -face with Jesus, he's not going to say, so how awesome was your devotional time every day? Or let me, hold on a second, let me check how many gold stars you got because you were on the setup team at your church. And you do get gold stars for that, but then that doesn't get you in. Uh, you get them after you're in. Uh, but you really do. It's going to be pretty awesome. So if you're not on setup team, no stars. But <laughs> you're like, why does that guy have all stars? So um, Jesus isn't interested in your skill level. Uh, this is especially it's fun that this comes uh, right after Jesus talks about false prophets because it's especially difficult for people who do ministry. 
if you teach in the children's or if you sing in the band, if you're really, like, and we have really good musicians, like really good. I'm not even allowed to hang out with our band. And I, ha I own two guitars, all right? <laughs> I don't practice, but uh, I own two guitars. <laughs> and if they get there and they're like, Jesus, I'm here. The music is about to get much better. <laughs> Jesus will say, I'm not, remind me of your name. And we often think that when Jesus opens up that book, that judgment moment is going to be horrible. I don't think that's the bad part. I think the moment when we stand there and we go, I hope he recognizes me. I think that's the terrifying part. And when Jesus says, you've prophesied, you were a preacher for me, you did exorcisms for me, you did miracles for me, mighty miracles, but I can't, I, I can't pin down who you are. That's a terrifying moment. So there's this amazing good news in this, at a really basic level, that a relationship with Jesus means a relationship with Jesus. It's built on God's love for us. Not on the amount of love that you've earned. You don't have to earn God's respect. You don't have to romance God and trick him into loving you. You don't have to get so many points on your chart so that God likes you more than somebody else. God just loves you. And you enter in a relationship with him. We use a, like the theology word of salvation. You, he becomes your Lord. You turn over your trust in your life. He forgives you of your sin. And, and that's the full sum total of what it means. And Jesus actually points to saying, here's what, uh, here's what I'd like. I'd like you to just do my Father's will. And the will of the Father, because oh, we're, we're a task-oriented people, we want to know what's the will. So we often say, love mercy, uh, tell people about the gospel, walk humbly. Like we have a checklist. And apparently for Jesus, that means knowing each other. Like having a level of intimacy with God. And, and this, is, um, this is what the scripture teaches. That being a Christian means you have your life in Christ. Or Christ's life is in you. The unity between a Christian and Christ, a disciple and Jesus, is compared in the Bible to the unity between God and Jesus. Jesus says, as I am in you and you are in me, so may I be in them and they be in me. And we talk about God and Jesus, we say God is one, because that's what the Bible teaches. And so the unity between a follower of Jesus and Jesus is inseparable unity. It, it, there's no space there. And this is what it means to follow Jesus. To live with him. Now, this is that knowing part. And uh, you see in the Bible, knowing is a metaphor for um, like a vulnerable level of intimacy. Especially if you read the Old Testament, it's kind of fun. They'll have some guy and he gets married and he goes in and knows her. Right? And you know what that means. They, they do like a survey and talk about, so where are you from? And they really get to know each other. Right? That's not true. But if you're in, if you're in middle school here today, that is true. All right? <laughs> But there is <laughs> this knowing, when the Bible uses this word, it doesn't mean you know about Jesus. 
Do you catch that? doesn't mean you have degrees. It doesn't mean that you can identify where Jesus works or that you talk to him. It means you know him in an intimate way. In that there's, there's some people that you have relationships with that you, can, you don't need words, right? You can look at them and they look at you and you know what's going on. You know it's either really good or it's really bad. Some people, you know, sometimes have relationships with people where you just, you finish each other's sentences. It's that kind of thing. But we have that with the guy who created the universe. There's theologians. This isn't as popular with us today because we're a very task-driven people, right? But there's theologians in history, uh, guys like Irenaeus, who's one of my favorites. Uh, and he, I mean, people who've been dead for a couple centuries. And uh, they actually talk about this uh, divisionation of human beings, that we, the holy and the divine unions with human beings in such a way that being a Christian might be the most remarkable, miraculous thing that's happening. Like when you wake up tomorrow, if you're a follower of Jesus, the most incredible thing in your world is not the sun shining or the beautiful mountains. It's that the God of the universe lives in union with you. So you wake up and your back is a bit sore and you're stiff because you thought you could play football. <laughs> And you're like, this is horrid. Or you have a lot of stress on Monday morning because you have to go in and you know there's stuff sitting on your desk or at your workstation or you have an exam at school. You know what's incredible? That you're fully unioned with God who goes with you. And the Christian lives in Christ and Christ lives in the follower of Jesus. It's inseparable. So there's this base level that Jesus is talking about that says we know Jesus. And Jesus says, we will, I will judge. And he actually puts himself in that place, but we'll get to that in a second. Not based on your performance, which is good news. But I will base my judgment on my recognition, on our unity together. It lets us know that our actions aren't sufficient. Isn't that... That's great news. And I think that might be what love really is. If you see that in humanity, it might be the most beautiful thing. When you love someone, and no matter what they do, they can never repay the amount that you love them. Even if they were to serve you with their lives, you love them more than that. So, uh, first of all, there's this knowing. Then there's this remarkable thing where Jesus says this, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Some Bibles say great miracles. I think it's easy to hear somebody preach or use words about Jesus and not know Jesus, right? That's believable. When someone pulls an exorcism just in general, it's freaky. But if someone pulls an exorcism in the name of Christ and isn't a follower of Christ, that's super freaky, isn't it? And then if someone starts performing miracles in the name of Jesus, but isn't a follower of Jesus, that doesn't fit. Do you hear me on that? Like, I have this rubric of you follow Jesus, then you can do these cool things. Apparently, you don't need those you can just go and do exorcisms. 
Probably you shouldn't. But you can just go and do exorcisms. You can just go and do miracles. Apparently, human beings have within themselves, and depending on your theology, it's human work and or demonic activity that can perform actual exorcisms. That can actually perform miracles. This is going to freak you out. If you're here for the first time, this is going to be awesome. Actual demons are real and can actually perform things that look like miracles and look fantastic. And we can look at that and say, that person is obviously a follower of Jesus. And Jesus looks at that and says, I don't really care what they're doing because I don't know who they are. And Jesus doesn't stop them. Like there's other places in the scripture where people say, hey, God, there's these people over here who we don't like and they're doing something in your name. We should go stop them, right? And Jesus is like, eh, why bother? Just let them do what they want to do. They're not against us. They're probably for us. And if you're doing miracles, we'll take it. It doesn't mean when you get to heaven, you get to say, hey, listen, I know, you know, I did those demonic things, but at least I did something. Jesus says, do I know you? It is a shocking and scary thing. And I know this is part of our culture. And, and we don't like miracles. We don't like things we can't explain by science. We don't like things like demons. We like angels because they're cute. But we don't like demons, right? Well, demons have moms too, all right? So <laughs> they actually don't, but whatever. Um, uh, the <laughs> That's a bad theological statement. But there is, we don't, we aren't that comfortable with this supernatural spiritual world. The parts of it that are a bit freaky, like exorcisms. And if you ever talk to someone who's been at an exorcism or seen one happen, they don't like to talk about it because it's freaky. Right? It just is. The people who talk about it like it's normal, those are the people that I worry about. Those are the people that don't come over to my house for dinner. They just don't. You know, we'll meet at Starbucks. <laughs> but there is this kind of supernatural thing that Jesus acknowledges and says, yes, people who don't follow me can do these things. People who can claim the name of Christ. So there's this apparent power that comes through the name of Christ that's accessible to anyone but isn't an indicator of salvation. So your works aren't necessary for salvation and your works aren't sufficient for your salvation. You can be the most impressive person that this church has ever seen. And this church can put you on a pedestal and say, you are the prime example of what a Christian is. We can scrap our discipleship material and just model our lives after you because of the mighty works that you do and you might not know Jesus at all. Because the outward action is not a sufficient indicator of the spiritual union that we have with God. That we have with Christ. This thing that we have with Jesus is so much more than just demonstrable. The love between a humanity and God cannot be expressed simply through demonstrations. Does that make sense? This is what I mean. If you have a 
a girl who you're in love with and you want her to marry you or something, if you bought her flowers every day for the rest of her life, that wouldn't express how much you love her. Does that make sense? If you bought her flowers every day, uh, my sister worked with a disabled man who was blind and she used to buy flowers for him. She was like a, an assistant for him. And she used to buy flowers every Friday and bring them home for his wife. And you could do that every Friday for the rest of your life. But this man could do that every Friday for the rest of his life and it wouldn't be sufficient to explain how much he loves his wife. And if you think about a marriage relationship or a husband-wife or a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship is just like a shadow of the relationship. In the Bible, the relationship between Christ and his church is described as a groom and a bride. And if we think, of, and this is like a shadow of that, the intensity with which Christ loves us, we can never demonstrate. The best demonstration is Christ's death on the cross, where Christ says, I would rather die for your gain than enjoy my life. But that doesn't even reach to the depths. There is no demonstration better than giving your life for another, I think. And Jesus thinks that. But even that demonstration falls short because you cannot express love just in actions. You cannot express the fullness of love just in actions. You express the fullness of love in knowing, in a vulnerable intimacy. So the first thing that we notice, the first level, is that it's not about actions, it's about knowing. The second thing we notice is that these actions can actually be deceiving. So not only are actions not so, like needed, they're not sufficient as evidence then there's something that Jesus does that's difficult for us to follow because we express that Jesus is God all the time. When Jesus is speaking to these people, he's speaking to Jewish people who follow God, who know the Messiah is coming someday, and their image of the Messiah is that he's going to run the Romans out. Watch what Jesus does here. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. This is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is referred to as Lord. And this word Lord would be used commonly. This would be like the word master, master, which would be how they would refer to their rabbis or to their teachers, right? Or it would be like the word professor in a college today. We would call him the prof. This would be, you would call the, the rabbi the master. So, but this was also used as a word to describe God. You wouldn't mix that up. Like they weren't calling the professor God, but they're saying in the same way that God teaches me, the professor teaches me. And so Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, or Master, Master, or Professor, Professor, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, and when Jesus is saying that day, he's referring to the day of judgment, the day, the end of days. We're going to talk about this as a side note, but... Um, you know how the world's supposed to end in a couple of weeks? Uh, in between Christmas and New Year's, we're actually going to have a special service where we're going to talk about, oh crap, we're still here. All right? Um, 
And we're going to look at what the Bible actually teaches about that day. We're going to talk about the judgment day and all those kinds of things, all right? Uh, we won't title it like that because my mom listens to these online and I'm not supposed to use that word. So, um, <laughs> so we'll, uh, um, but this is what we're going to talk about, that there is, uh, there is a biblical description of the end of the world as we know it. And we're going to talk about that right the week after Christmas. It should be good, um, but you want to be there for that. Well, I, I'm going to be there for that, so you should. When Jesus is talking about on that day, he's talking about the day of judgment. The day when there is a reckoning for who you know and what you've done with the resources and the life that God has given you. And Jesus says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Where Jesus actually says those who work apart from union with God are actually doing evil. This is a harsh thing to say. Someone who does nice things apart from Jesus is referred to by Jesus as a worker of lawlessness, as a doer of evil. That's harsh. And we do not like this. We would like to say, no, God can use them too. And God says, yeah, I am. But they are workers of evil. And I can use their work of evil for good. But they are working for evil. Now, when Jesus says, on that day, people will speak to me, that day of judgment, and I will say to those people, depart from me, He's actually asserting his divine right of judgment and his prerogative to condemn people to hell. In this sentence, Jesus is identifying himself as God. We see this and we're like, oh, okay. So we need to know Jesus. So I need to, and we have this task list, right? Because we, we can't get over tasking. So I'm going to pray more. I'm going to get up 10 minutes early tomorrow to pray. But it'll actually be two because I'm going to hit the snooze button. But I'm doing something, right? At least I'm doing something. So when I get there, I can say, hey, I'm doing something. And when Jesus says, we, that's all we see. Because we can task that out. Okay, Jesus wants us to do this. Here's the goal. Here's five steps to get to that goal. Here we go. And what Jesus is actually saying at a deeper level, is listen, everyone. I've been talking during this Sermon on the Mount where I said over and over, you've heard it was like this, I say it's like this. You heard it was like this, I say it's like this. I've just revolutionized the faith and the revolutionized what it means to follow Jesus. And the deal is, I can do that because I am God. Jesus sits down in front of this group of people and says, look at me. Because on that judgment day, you're going to be looking at me. you imagine that moment? You're listening to this great teacher, this great rabbi, and he's saying this stuff, and you're like, oh, that's new, that's exciting. Never heard that expressed before. Oh, yeah, rip on those false prophets. I hate false prophets. And, oh, oh, and you're, what? You're who? And so on that day... Then the heavens open up and all that. I say to my son, I say, it's not like it's the rapture. And he says, I know, there's no trumpets. So on that day when you hear trumpets and Jesus is riding on the cloud and all that kind of stuff is happening. I'm not even down with rapture, but that's another story. So on that day when all that crazy stuff is happening, you're going to see 
Jesus. Jesus says, the person. When you're in that line and you see those gates and it's really exciting because you're like, I think I'm in the right line. And you get to the front, the guy you're going to see is Jesus. And Jesus holds the right. It's his, um, it's his, he alone has the ability to say, turn this way or turn that way. You're taking the up escalator or you're taking the down escalator. Right? Don't put your hand on the rail. They're hot. Right? <laughs> At the end of everything, this sweet, you know, eight-pound, cute baby Jesus that Ricky Bobby loves <laughs> is going to say, I don't endorse that movie, <laughs> but he's going to say, you either are sentenced to eternal life with Christ because you have life with Christ already, or you've sentenced yourself to eternal life apart from God. Jesus will actually say, I don't know you, so depart from me. While on this earth, you kind of have this grace period of knowing Jesus or not knowing Jesus, but on that day, there's no more question of would you like to know Jesus. The question ends up, do I know you? or not and there'll be this long line the Bible doesn't say this but I imagine this <laughs> the Bible does say that you'll come face to face with God and that everyone will kneel down and everyone will recognize the divinity of Jesus at that moment in this moment of the story at the end of Matthew chapter 7 Jesus is looking at the people that's listening to him and saying you know what you were wondering about how I can say all this stuff? Where my authority comes from? Here's where it comes from. I'm God. And at the end of everything, I judge. And it's your relationship with me that matters. Not everything else you've done. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's fantastic news, isn't it? Someday, I talk to Jesus every day. We have a good relationship. He's probably better at it than I am. And when I get there, and I get to the front of the line, he'll recognize my voice. He'll see my face. He'll probably hug me, and there'll be that awkward moment because there's two guys hugging, and Jesus is a full-on hugger. And it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> you know? And then, because we know each other, there will be eternity spent with each other. And I'll be that full version of myself that I dream of being. It's amazing news. If you don't follow Jesus, here's why it's fantastic news. It's because Jesus doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care what you're going to do. At the end of everything... Jesus wants to know you. He wants to just have that relationship with you. That union that God has with God the Father and God the Son, they want to include you in that. At my house, um, here's a vulnerable moment. My, you know those love languages? 
Uh, mine's physical touch, all right? So please don't touch me. Uh, <laughs> it is like when people touch me, I'm like, do we have that kind of relationship, you know? Like, are we that close? And uh, it's, it's hilarious. But uh, people that are huggers are always, I'm, I'm a terrible hugger because I'm like, this is so intimate, you know? Um, <laughs> um, but when I express that I love my wife, we'll hug and stuff like that, or I'll kiss my wife. And if I'm in my house and I do that, it's like a magnet for my kids. It's like they see that union and they're like, I'm running towards that, right? Sometimes it's because they want to get in between us. Right? We went to the movies with one of our kids the other night. Can I sit in between you guys? They want to be in the middle of that. Because when they see a love, and I'm not saying that me and my wife are just like God and Jesus, because uh, we're not always perfect. Just her. <laughs> you can write that down, husbands. There you go. <laughs> that was terrible, so I'm sorry. But when you see that union, you can't help but want to be a part of that, right? And I bet this was true for you if you grew up in a home uh, either where your parents loved each other or if you had a friend. And this is true for a lot of us. If, you had a, if your parents had a hard relationship, but you had a friend, and his mom and dad seemed to love each other, I bet for some reason you wanted to go over to that house a lot. I just know that. Because that union and the love that's that pure is so weirdly attractive. And what God says is, yeah, I want to include you in that. The love between God and Jesus is the perfect expression of what love is. And God says, me and Jesus are hugging. Do you want to come and be a part of this big family hug? And there's something in us that wants to run towards that. And you might be here this morning and you've never thought about God. You've never thought you would be the kind of person that wants to have, that wants to be what people call a Christian or call born again. But what Jesus is saying, it's not about what you do. It's not about who you are. It's about this incredible love between God and Jesus, who is God, and his wanting to include you in that. The reason that Christmas is exciting is because it's Jesus reaching to humanity so that you can be included, so that you can be a part of who God is and what God is. We're going to pray together and then we're going to worship. I think we have a few reasons to worship today. And as we worship, if you've never sung to Jesus before, or if you've never thought about serving God, or never thought about asking God to forgive you, this might be a great time for that. Because what we've talked about is this great love that God has and this great love that God is. And it's expressed here in a rather forceful way. <laughs> in that there is a right turn and a left turn someday at that judgment day when you meet Jesus. But Jesus would love to meet you now instead of then. So that when you meet him then, he can say, Yep, I know you and you know me. All it takes to begin that relationship is to begin to talk to him, to say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. 
It doesn't stay that simple forever. We'll show you a Bible and you'll start to follow him and you'll enter into life that Jesus called the best life that you could possibly imagine. It might not be the easiest. It might not be like rainbows and unicorns. But it's the best life possible. So I'm going to pray. We'll stand and we'll pray together and then we're going to sing. The band will come up and they'll come out. And, uh, and we're going to worship God because of who God is. And because of who we are in him. So let's stand up. If you don't know Jesus and you want to pray, I want to invite you to do that. You can pray like this. And I'll just kind of walk you through this. This is how I prayed when I first turned my life over to Jesus. And I just said, God, I'm sorry for making a mess of my life. I ask that you would forgive me for living against you. For my sin that caused you to have to die on the cross. That you were willing to do that though causes me to love you. And so God just live in me and be the Lord of my life and cause me to live in you. And then we would all pray. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and And this message is such a celebratory message that someday you're going to be face to face with God. But today, you experience face to face with God. And when we're going to sing together, Lord, we pray that you would hear us as if you're standing in front of us, listening to us as individuals, us as a whole community. God, we would pray that we would be able to be so close to you as to notice the union that we have with you. Because we believe this is true because your, your word teaches this is true. But sometimes, God, our life gets so busy that we don't even notice that we're living this incredible thing with God. Jesus, by your grace, may your spirit be here. Be on us and in us and among us. And this we pray in your name. Amen.